Google says mostly you should put it in your kitchen, which I'm I'm thinking is really just mostly them hoping to reduce the amount of nudity that the camera sees. <laughs> By accident. Yeah, well, oh I will show them, though. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Popular Science's Techathlon, tech news through games, trivia, and usually friendly competitions. I'm your host, Jason Letterman, and playing along with me today, our Corinne would have totally dominated at Nickelodeon's Guts Iosio. That was the one with the aggro crag, right? Yeah. Of course it was. Don't and pretend like you don't know no, that. No, I just wanted to make sure I was remembering that made-up mountain correctly. Mike O'Malley. It glowed. Mike O'Malley was the host he of was that. the host, yeah. Right. Stan, Chancellor of AOL Chatroom's Horror Check. I put on my robe and wizard hat. That's a joke exclusively for people my age who were on the internet. That is not a joke it's, I understand. It's a great also, joke. Also, chancellors aren't wizards? I'm confused. <laughs> Clearly, we're, we're out of the loop. Yeah. I, the fact that literally no one got it in here to that extent makes me very happy that someone listening will understand I put on my robe and wizard hat as a joke. Still, I'd like to see you wear a robe and wizard hat just I, in real life. That'd be cool. I think it would look dope. And that voice was Rob Verger of the House Techathlon, the first of his name, king of the androids, the routers, and the first mice. Knight of the Seven Kilobytes and Protector of the RAM, Knight of Data, King of Memory, Colonel of the Great Graphics, the USB Breaker of Codes, and Father of Drag and Drop. Dracaris. Dracaris is all I have to say all the time. <laughs> I just want to say that we're recording this podcast before the Game of Thrones finale, so we don't even know if the person that we just referenced as Rob is even still alive. Oh, 100% not. Totally dead. Yeah. Definitely a prediction. Mm -hmm. Is Arya going to kill her? We don't know. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into the Tecathlon Decathlon. 10 trivia questions to catch you up on the week's news. I'll ask our panel all about what's been happening in the tech world since our last episode. They'll buzz in to answer and get points for each question they answer correctly. They'll also have the opportunity to steal any question that their fellow panelists answer incorrectly as long as it isn't true or false or multiple choice. Whoever has the most points at the end of the game will win a fabulous prize. Let's get started. Question number one. You probably need to update your computer right now. A new vulnerability called Zombie Load can read information, including what websites you're on in real time, directly from what brand of computer processor? Stan. Intel. Intel is correct. Apparently, Zombie Load affects any Intel processor since 2011, and patches have already come out from Intel, Apple, Google, and Microsoft, as well as some Linux distributors. Yeah, it's bad. This is like the third instance of something that gets Intel processors like at the fundamental level, right? Yeah, the other two were Spectre and Meltdown. All scary names. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, they really, <laughs> don't sound good. The, the branding My favorite on these James Bond films, just, though. But the Spectre branding is, is just, mm, like, was it zombie? Zombie load. Zombie load. I think it's the people who discover these exploits get to name them, and they do a good job. Yeah, because yeah, if you discover it, you want it to sound like the most serious one. Right. Yeah, you just, just want a lot it of media attention. Like, just death catastrophe, or like Jason watches The Bachelor now. <laughs> <laughs> or, scary things. Yeah. Stan in a robe and wizard hat. That's a wonderful thing, not a scary thing. Question cool. number two. E3 is coming up, and it's not just console manufacturers who will be present at the annual video game conference. Netflix announced via a pretty blatantly scripted PR conversation on Twitter that it was making a game for what Netflix original franchise? Stan. I know they're making a choose-your-own-adventure Kimmy Schmidt. That is not the Darn one that it. they announced on this. Corinne. Is it a game version of Stranger Things? It is Stranger Things. Oh, that's a good guess. 
Sorry. It's going to be eight bit, and I'm and pretty it's going to be completely upside down. It might be, for all I know. They alluded to other franchises that will be turned into games, and they've also done some interactive content before with Minecraft and also obviously Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Yeah, and that one where you get to follow Bear Grylls around. Yeah, yeah. How many times is Bear Grylls going to die in that interactive series? I haven't. Have you done any of those? I didn't. I haven't, but I know people who have. I did Bandersnatch, and I, I didn't love it, actually. I found it kind of Did you die? Yeah, it was really, really hard. I don't even know how to win it. I'm too, I just got bored. Yeah. I get too depressed when I watch Black Mirror. And then people ask me, did you watch Black Mirror? And I get to say no. And then they get to describe it to me. And people <laughs> love describing Black Mirror to you. So it makes them really happy. So I figure, Does it make you depressed when they describe it? No. Because okay. I just tune out and picture Jason watching The Bachelor. <laughs> is it The it's Bachelorette? Just, the Bachelorette is this season. Yeah. Question number three is a multiple choice question. President Trump last week announced he was considering a 25% tariff on all Chinese imports, which analysts say could raise the price of iPhones. According to J.P. Morgan, how much would Apple need to increase the price of iPhones to offset these tariffs if imposed? Is it A? Stan. You didn't say any of the things yet, so I'm going to take a... It's it's all in percent. Uh, oh, so, oh, percent? Percent. Oh, man. Then I I, I do have the dollar number as well, that's so go okay. ahead. I, I was going to say $140 because I think that's the number I read, but I don't actually I'm going to give you that point. It's $142, wow. which is 14%. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know I read that. Cause... But we don't even notice how much our phones cost anymore anyway. Do uh, we? Well, this I don't is... think if the iPhone was suddenly $1,142, that just means that I'm paying, what, $30? Five dollars and twenty-two cents instead of thirty-four dollars and eighty-nine cents a month. Yeah, it, yeah. It's also possible Apple could absorb the cost, so it may not even be passed on to the consumers. And this is I can't imagine how again all hypothetical. Are, yeah, I mean I can't imagine how they could absorb that much across the whole line. Well, so it is it is relevant, especially when we got the OnePlus Seven Pro this week, which is a seven hundred dollar phone that frankly does more stuff than the current thousand dollar iPhone does with UFS storage and. This really fancy screen. So it has that dumb little camera that pops out the top. Though. It's just asking to be broken. <laughs> it, that, that is true, but you know they did a demo where it lifted like forty pounds of weight just from the pop up. I don't care. Moving parts are always going to be a problem. Yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, the OnePlus Seven Pro has a camera that pops up from the top, sort of like a like the old headlights on the old Corvettes, or I don't really or an old camera flash yeah. or a Miata. I can't think of an example that doesn't make me sound like I'm a thousand years old. Right. But Stan and I were talking about this before. <laughs> like, think about how often, like, a DVD or a Blu ray player breaks versus how often a VCR broke. Yeah, like, moving, that's the difference between moving parts and not moving parts. Moving parts are hard and they break. Fair enough. Question number four A WhatsApp security breach was announced last Tuesday. The breach gave hackers access to your messages and emails, photos, location data, and even the ability to turn your phone's microphone and camera on or off. How did hackers install the software on devices, Rob? Through a phone call placed through WhatsApp to your account. That's it. Calling WhatsApp users, it doesn't matter if you answer or not. So if you use WhatsApp, you should make sure that you're on the most recent version. Brutal. That's like that FaceTime one where the people could see through your camera and hear you talking before you picked up. That's very bad. So bad. As long as it was ringing. Do you have a, a sticker or a piece of tape over your webcam? I should, but I don't. I've been feeling the same thing. Like, I just need to add one. If people want to, like, watch me play air drums to Rush songs <laughs> in my <laughs> office while I'm trying to write things, then I guess that's more power to them. 
I have a an Avengers Band-Aid over my webcam. I have a little electronic Freedom Foundation sticker. Yeah, you have the slider. No, it's just it's just a sticker. Just a sticker. It looks like a slider, but it's just a. Got it. Yeah. I've probably got enough gunk on mine that it's not a very good picture <laughs> at this point. What is this blurry beard? Yeah, it's just a just a wreck. Is that is a it, giant koosh? Is that a wizard hat he's wearing? <laughs> Question number five. Alexa Guard is rolling out to all Echo devices in the U.S. With this feature, your smart speaker can monitor your house for the sound of windows breaking or alarms going off and notify security companies to listen and potentially alert authorities. What is the keyword phrase to turn on this feature? Rob. Alexa, activate guard. That is not it. Corinne? Alexa, I'm leaving. Alexa, I'm leaving. That's oh it. Oh, my God. You turn it off by saying, Alexa, I'm home. I'm home, honey. I'm home. I don't know how I feel about this. It's nice, especially if you're somebody who may not want to install a very expensive security system. But also, I don't necessarily want my Amazon microphone on all the time. Yeah. Well, it's kind of always on all the time, just listening for the wake word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, but that's case, a different circuit. But, but in this right. case, it's going to be always listening for just these specific sounds, right? Right. But it can't, like, it doesn't activate when those sounds happen. Because, like, you can't use a wake word to detect something you have to be listening for all the time. But my guess is that the wake word in this case is essentially the sound of the breaking glass or... The you know the alarm going off. I, I imagine it Maybe. may be the same thing. The the natural extension of this is what Google just announced. Nest Hub Max, right? That's what it's called. <laughs> oh man, the branding's gotten so complicated. I have to think about it so much now. Which has a camera in it, and it has facial recognition, so that when you walk out into your kitchen and it sees you, it will bring up your stuff. That's comes from the Nest security cameras had that, which is like. The idea that if your camera sees someone that it doesn't recognize, you can have it alert you, which frankly seems much more effective, but also much more intrusive at the same time. And the camera on that thing, also, if it's like doing a timer or something, you just stick your hand at it, like the kind of shut up hand. Yeah. And it sees that and it turns off. So this idea of talk to the hand, things monitoring all the time and just seeing all this, like, I think this is going to be increasingly something that we hear about and I guess and just something that we kind of make our peace with yeah question number six Oakley California and Somerville Massachusetts are among the cities currently considering bans on facial recognition but what major city became the first to implement such a ban last week Corinne San Francisco San Francisco the cops can't use it no so the police can no longer use it but it doesn't apply necessarily to ports or airports or other areas under federal jurisdiction for what it's worth, SFPD also says it does not use facial recognition. So this is like a preemptive strike? Basically. Yeah, well, and that's also going to—this is going to be one of those conversations that takes a long time for us to figure out what exactly this means. Because one of the things that happens in my area is that the police will immediately take camera footage and upload it to Facebook. So and be like, we're looking for help finding this person, which is kind of ad hoc facial recognition, either by Facebook's own system, which might recognize right, someone, which might be scanning for it anyway. Yeah, and just the people who are following it on Facebook. So like, this idea of of what is and what isn't facial recognition, I think, is going to get really complicated. Yeah. Once every gadget has facial recognition in it. What's 
fascinating also here is that they kind of are allowing it to exist in both ways. So like law enforcement can't do it, but we all know because we've talked about it a bunch that the TSA is doing more things with facial recognition in order to speed customs and security at airports. But who's to say that the TSA can't also be screening for people who perhaps are on some kind of flag list? Right. You know, so or, the, the TSA is a in a Effect it's, in it's, some ways a law enforcement agency also totally yeah they were for one, so yeah. San Francisco law doesn't apply to it right or Taylor Swift's kiosk at her concert that's scanning all the concert goers for for known, her stalkers known stalkers yeah you know? like where does that yeah. the cops don't do that but should a private company be able to and do I that? think it actually the law says that businesses are allowed to do it so I don't know is that a business case well it's a private it's like a private company private property thing. yeah like they can't really tell you what to do question number seven is multiple choice. Broadband internet is something the FCC believes all Americans should have, but as we've discussed, isn't great about enforcing. So what state announced it would form its own dedicated broadband office to get better internet to more remote areas? Is it A, Washington, B, West Virginia, C, Wisconsin, or D, Wyoming? Rob. Washington. It is Washington. The bill was signed by Governor Jay Inslee, and the initial budget is $21 million, though the governor's office hopes to grow it to $100 million by 2023. Yeah. And I mean, good on them for this because, you know, a lot of we obviously live on a coast. And when we think about Washington state, we think predominantly about Seattle, which is the home to Amazon and some other very large like Microsoft is just outside Seattle. So we associate Seattle with this tech boominess, but we it's so easy to forget the diversity and the size of a state like Washington and the Pacific Northwest. Like once the further east you go in Washington, it gets very sparse and very rural. So like good on them for making a concerted effort to sort of spread that wealth around. Yeah, you have to drive pretty far from Seattle till you get to Spokane. Yeah. Question number eight. In an unusual move, Microsoft issued a patch last week for multiple operating systems, including two it no longer supports, Windows XP and Windows Server 2003. The patch is meant to protect against a worm, a piece of malware that users don't have to interact with for it to infect their computer. A similar worm attacked thousands of computers in hundreds of countries just two years ago. Can you remember the name of that ransomware, Stan? It's WannaCry, right? WannaCry. I want to cry right now because I feel like I knew that. It was right on the tip of your robot brain. WannaCry forced users to pay $300 before unlocking their computers. In Bitcoin. In Bitcoin. (laughs) And Windows says that the vulnerability does not affect Windows 10, which is its current software. And the safest way to make sure that your computer doesn't get infected is to have Windows 10, basically. Or update your operating system. It's a very bad sign when Windows is updating XP. Uh, XP. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That means that something very bad is happening. And also it means it's a nice reminder that a lot of important institutions are still using computers that are using Windows XP. Well, that's why a lot of times you hear about these like bugs and worms affecting all these older versions of Windows is because hackers go after the the low-hanging fruit, which is all the machines in the world running older versions of Windows. That just never work for perhaps like to Stan's point, like large corporate entities who are like, we're not going to spend all this money and time upgrading everybody to the latest operating system. Yeah, our governments around the world. Or, you know, which is a really great thing to say in the moment, but then when your entire infrastructure gets nuked. Yeah, like that's bad. Hospital. Yeah. WannaCry got like hospitals. Yeah. Which is crazy. I love Windows XP for what it's worth. Oh, it was great. It was such a good operating system. It was system. wonderful at the time. I love hospitals. They're so safe. You get hurt, you go there. Is it that you really loved Windows XP or you were just relieved to not have Windows ME anymore? A little bit of both. Yeah, it was pretty pretty awful. Yeah. 
Question number nine is true or false. True or false, FCC Chairman Ajit Pai recommended a new rule last week that would let cell phone carriers completely block robocalls. Rob. True. True. According to the Washington Post, Americans received 18.7 million robocalls in 2017 and 26 million in 2018. Uh, which is a, almost a 50% increase, 46%. I would have thought it was more. I get like four a day. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like things change over time, and then you have to change the laws <laughs> about how you regulate things. Yeah. Last year, the FCC recommended the shake and stir protocol, which we have talked about on this before, which allows cell phone carriers to block robocalls. The difference with this new plan is that it would allow cell phone carriers to auto-enroll users into this program. Which Opt they will, in. of course, happily charge us all for, I'm sure. Right. Well, that's the question. That's is, will the it thing. be free or will it cost money? Well, because they can do it. We've known that they can do it, right? It's Verizon or is it AT&T who's like, we can block your robocalls. Give me $4. Yeah, Verizon had a two-tiered thing where they would basically block it for free, but if you wanted, like, advanced blocking, it costs $4. Whatever advanced blocking means. I like the call screening feature. In Android Q. Yeah, with, on the Pixel phone specifically, yeah. Yeah, which is really cool because when your phone rings, you can put screen call. And the assistant answers. It's like, hey, I'm the Google Assistant answering for Rob. Yeah, who are you and what do you want? And then it'll play its recorded message or whatever, and you can just be like, block, delete forever. So it's a nifty yeah, a I like it. Nifty feature. Tech athletes, we are, <laughs> we are tied at three to three to three as we go into our final question of this week's decathlon. Facebook announced last week it would ban users from using its live feature for a set number of days after breaking the platform's rules how many times? Corinne. One. There's a one strike rule on this. Because of white supremacists. Yes. because Well, it was also, they say that like if they had had this rule before the the terrible thing happened in Christchurch. That stuff would not have ended up on a live stream. That's it. I did it. Congratulations. Congratulations. Let's reach into the bag of goodies and see what you get. It's a snow globe, and it just says snow globe. You can put your own picture in there. So put a picture of me. Why didn't? Why isn't there a picture of you in here already, Jason? You know, I wasn't. I wasn't prepared for the week. But you can put my picture in there and always have a little piece of of. Tagathlon in your home. Oh, the, the kid in the stock photo is pretty cute, though. That's true. I don't know if I can compete with that. You could put a screenshot of The Bachelor in there. <laughs> Bachelorette. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we'll be right back after this. This episode of Tagathlon is brought to you by Blue. Blue makes microphones, headphones, and other professional audio gear that's great for making podcasts. In fact, it's what we use here to make Tagathlon. You can learn more about them and all of their products at bluedesigns.com. Welcome back. Tech, like pretty much everything else, tends to repeat itself. Last week, Tamagotchis made a comeback, and even though I'm old enough to remember them and even have had one myself, my peers insist that just can't be true. So, Stan, as an elder millennial, why don't you fill us in on exactly <laughs> yes. what Tamagotchi is? I am an elder millennial. I found that out this you week. You and me together, bud. Yeah, which means we're old and crappy. Yeah, back in 1997, Tamagotchis were like the hot toy. They were like the Tickle Me Elmo. Uh, they were these little electronic keychains that had digital animals that you had to care for by, like, quote, feeding and cleaning up their poop. They were really stupid, but kids loved them almost as much as grade school teachers hated them. 
In honor of these dumb little gadgets, I thought we'd fire up the old time machine and head on back to 1997. Each question in this game will test your knowledge of the tech from that fine year in which Elton John's touching tribute song, Candle in the Wind, topped the charts. So these questions are kind of hard. So I'm going to ask you the question, and if you can give me the answer cold, you're going to get two points. Whoa. And if I, you can't, I'm going to give you some options just to make sure people don't get bored. Starting with Corinne. Okay. In 1997, Google still didn't even exist, which means there was no Chrome browser to help you surf the web over to your favorite Lycos chat room. The browser war was in full effect, and companies were fighting for dominance. What was the most popular web browser in 1997? It was like the native browser in America online. And I, I'm i just going to say the AOL browser, but I can't. Yeah, I don't even know if that's actually an do you, answer. Do you want to officially answer, or do you want me to give you the options? No, I want the options. Okay. <laughs> the options are, one, Internet Explorer, two, Netscape Navigator, or three, Mozilla. Netscape Navigator. It was Netscape Navigator. It was, yeah. I knew that one. Sure I did too. Did. Two points. <laughs> <laughs> I want my two points. All right, Jason. Tamagotchi wasn't the only game in town when it came to digital animals you could keep in your neon orange backpack. Electronic gaming company Tiger also made a less successful version. If Tamagotchis were Transformers, then these were the GoBots. What were they called? Mm, they were called... Ugh. I remember Tiger Electronics, too. Give me the choices. One, Digimon. Two, Gigapets. Or three, Pocket Pals. It were Gigapets. It was Gigapets. Tiger also, I don't know if anyone has this very specific memory, but they used to make those little handheld games with, yep. like, the, yep. the screens that were basically, like, the screen on your, like, old alarm clock. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if they were also a company that made those, like, little personal address book like computerized organizer things for little girls was called like my secret diary (laughs) and you would keep your address book in there and your calendar and then there was like a mode where you could lock it so that there were only things that you would know that's how jason knows to come to the podcast that's true that's the still the organizer i use to this day (laughs) it reminds him all right rob question number three By 1997, the Nintendo 64 and Sony PlayStation were massive forces in console gaming. In that year, however, both systems got a new feature that shook up the way players experienced games. What was that new feature? Was it wireless controls or kind of like a Wii-type system? No. Rob gets zero points. Oh, well. Is it it haptic feedback? It was vibrating controllers, which is slightly different. But yeah, the Nintendo 64 had the rumble pack. Yep. yep. And you would snap that into that little slot on the bottom of the thing. And when you jumped over a mountain or a hill in Mario Kart and they landed and it went poom on the screen, you're, you get the little rumble. Yeah. yeah and or when so, somebody shot you in Goldeneye. Yeah. The Goldeneye was the best example of it. And then Sony introduced the DualShock, which it sold 28 mm-hmm. million uh, yeah. of eventually down the road. Okay. So I'll just put this zero here next to Rob's name. Thank you. <laughs> I earned it. All right. Question number four, Corinne. Let's do it. Believe it or not, no matter what Elon Musk tells you, you could totally get an electric car all the way back in 1997. One prominent company had a model called the EV Plus that could go 125 miles between charges. What was the car company that made the EV Plus? Oh, shoot. I know this, but I can't think of it. Give me the choices. Option one is Honda. Option two is Toyota. And option three is Ford. Was Toyota? It was Honda. Damn it. You could actually only get it as a lease, uh, and you could not keep it once you were done with the lease. At least they were trying. There you go. All right, Jason, question number five. 
One of the best ways to test artificial intelligence in 2019 is by training it to beat humans at complicated games like Go or even League of Legends. In 1997, however, a famous computer beat chess legend Garry Kasparov in a six-game match, which was a really big deal at the time. What was the name of the supercomputer? Oh, I know this. <laughs> Rob's so mad. I am mad. I can't say definitively it was Watson because for some reason I also have blue in my head. So g- give me some choices. Number one, Horizon. Number two, Deep Blue. Or number three, Whopper. Deep Blue. <laughs> it was Deep Blue. Good job, Jason. Thanks. Do you guys know what Whopper is from? There's no points. Bur- Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that they're making an impossible Whopper. They have made an impossible Whopper, in Whopper fact. is the name of the supercomputer in the movie War Games. Oh, you're right. <laughs> God, that's a great movie. Okay. Question number six, Rob. Digital cameras existed back in 1997, but they weren't really very good. Resolution struggled to break a single megapixel, and memory typically lived inside the camera, so you had to hook it up to your computer to get your pictures. The Sony Mavica FD5, however, had a more novel way of storing photos. What media did it use to hold your pictures? Hmm. I would like to hear the choices, please. I know this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Option number one, mini CDRs. Option number two, zip disks. Option number three, three and a half inch floppy disks. I'm going to go with three and a half inch floppy disks. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. You actually stuck that's awesome. three and a half inch floppies into the side of the camera. I have one of these at my How house. How big is the camera? It's like if you were holding a really thick roast beef sandwich <laughs> and like <laughs> upwards. So right now we have one round left. Jason is ahead. Oh, he no. Has two points. Whoa. And Corinne and Rob both have one point. Question number seven, Corinne. Mm-hmm. We know the Consumer Electronics Show as an annual gathering in Las Vegas where gadget makers get together and promise new devices that they can and sometimes can't actually make. That annual schedule, however, only started in 1997. Before then, it happened twice each year, once in Vegas and once in what other U.S. city? Oh, God. I know this. It's – shoot. Give me the choices. Option one, Chicago. Uh-huh. Option two is New York, and option three is San Francisco. I'm just going to say New York. I feel like it may be bi-coastal situation. Uh, it was kind of tricky because the first CES was in New York, but before 1997, it was Chicago and Las Vegas. Trick question. Actually, there was supposed to be a summer CES in 1997 in Atlanta, but only two dozen companies were going to go, <laughs> so they canceled it. <laughs> Jason, I think if you get all the points on this question, you can lock up the... The win. Here. All right, let's do it. On September 17, 1997, Steve Jobs took over as Apple's interim CEO. The company called him iCEO, which is equal parts terrible and adorable. It was Steve Jobs' return to the company, but what year did he originally resign from Apple? 19. You got that part right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Halfway there. Thanks, guys. 93? You got zero points, Jason. Oh. It's 1985. Oh, I was way He off. was gone for a while. Yeah. The yeah. wilderness years. All right, Rob. Hello. You can catch up here. Yay. Every year, PopSci collects the most interesting and innovative gadgets and technological advances in a list we call Best of What's New. Looking back on 1997's list is a wonderful time machine to a land where new camera tech was everywhere and computers were still really, really big. One piece of fitness equipment made the list because it, quote, took the hot trend at the health club's home. 
Turns out it was actually a pretty good call, and it's still a popular piece of gym equipment today. What is it? I don't spend a lot of time in gyms, or and also surprisingly back in 1997 didn't either. So anyway, I'd like to hear the choices. All right, your choices are the spin bike, the elliptical trainer, or the rowing machine. I'm going to go with elliptical. That's right. Woohoo! You and Jason are tied. Okay, so tiebreaker. According to the U.S. Census, what percentage of homes in the country had a home computer in 1997? 18.6. I was going to guess 20%. Rob is the winner of this game. Yay. It is 36.6%. That is significantly higher than I thought it was. Yeah. Well, clearly, given the number you said. <laughs> given, <laughs> although, to, to give Jason some credit, only 18% of households had the internet in 1997. I mean, so I win. Computer. <laughs> That's so. actually, if you think about it, 18 feels pretty high for internet use back in 97. Yeah, I, I agree. I was, I was slightly surprised by that. But there you go. All Rob right. is the winner of the 1997 game. Yay. I would also like to say that in 1997, I graduated from high school and went to college. In 1997, I started elementary school. Aw. <laughs> that was the competition today. Man. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. Good job to you. Let's move on to our final game of the episode. Today, May 20th, is an historic day in aviation. In 1927, Charles Lindbergh became the first person to cross the Atlantic solo. Five years later, in 1932, Amelia Earhart became the first woman to do so. But aviation has changed a lot in the last century, and Rob is going to quiz us about it in this edition of Don't Stat Me. Aviation today is much different than last century. Cockpit crews fly commercial jets in pairs of two, and their equipment has become much safer and more reliable. I'm going to ask the team today, that's you guys, about aviation facts and breakthroughs from history and more modern times. So, team, please start your mind engines and get ready to soar through the skies on fuel made out of pure science fun. What if my uh, mind is a jet? That's totally fine. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to start with Jason. Jason, question one, are you ready? Uh, no, but let's go ahead and do it anyway. <laughs> okay, this is going to be fun. Decades ago, and I'm being intentionally vague here, a test pilot named Chuck Yeager became the first person to break the speed of sound, piloting an X-1 aircraft named the Glamorous Glenis, faster than Mach 1. Did that historic flight take place before or after January 1st, 1949? I know it was in the 40s. I want to say it was after. <laughs> That's wrong. It was actually before. It was in October 1947. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, it's like you'd think it would have been later, right? Yeah, I did. I, clearly I did. Early. Yeah. <laughs> for Mach 1. Okay. Question number two, Corinne. Yes. Much more recently, Airbus announced that it would stop making the A380, a giant four-engine double-decker plane due to poor demand from airlines, which prefer two-engine commercial jets. If you filled the inside of one A380 with ping-pong balls... How, oh, my God. <laughs> how many could you fit? Is it more or less than 30 million ping pong balls? I mean, ping pong balls are really small, and that's a really, really big plane. I'm going to say more. You're correct. Okay. It's 35 million ping pong balls. Who in the hell did that math? <laughs> I think it's just crazy. I would have been really good if Corinne had just, like, totally nerded out and been like, what's what's the Well, the volume of, of, of a blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, that that's, that comes from Airbus itself, who probably didn't measure it with actual ping pong balls, but... Also, just, like, what an obtuse thing to say. Like, yeah. that doesn't mean anything to anyone. It's a lot of ping pong balls. That's all it means. Question number three. Stan. Oh, good. <laughs> an airline in Canada is working on converting a single-engine bush plane to an electric motor powered by batteries. How many footballs fit inside of it? <laughs> <laughs> if it takes off no, on a dark, stormy <laughs> night, flying west. No. <laughs> 
Is the total flight time they're eyeing, this is an electric plane, going to be more or less than two hours? I think it's less. You're right. Electric plane seems hard. Totally And hard. batteries are very heavy. Yeah. Totally. It's 30 minutes of flight time only with 30 minutes of reserve. Oh, right, because they need to have as much reserve as they have flight time. Yeah. yeah. But all planes, like a lot of planes have to have that, right? It's like I think it's generally a 30 minutes of flight rule you have to have in reserve. Ah, uh, gotcha. So whether it's your batteries or your fuel, that's what you got to have. Jason. Rob. Hi. Hi. You've definitely seen and maybe even flown in a Boeing 747. Probably. Which has a distinctive hump in front and four engines. That plane is also seeing much less use than it has historically as airlines move to two-engine jets. Did the first Boeing 747 fly before or after January 1st, 1969? I'm noticing a pattern. I didn't mean to give you both the, give both the date questions to you, but that's what happened. It's okay. After. You're right. It flew after. It flew in February of 1969. Okay. Question number five. Corinne, this one's for you. Mm -hmm. In 2012, a daredevil named Felix Baumgartner jumped out of a balloon at the crazy height of 128,100 feet off the ground. Oh, he sure did. It was terrifying. (laughs) And he survived, yes, landing safely thanks to a parachute that he descended on. What was his top speed while he was free falling in the stratosphere? Was it faster or slower than 800 miles per hour. God, I know it was very, very fast, but I don't feel like it was that fast. I'm going to say below. He actually went faster Holy than that. Holy crap. He hit about 843 miles per hour. Did you guys watch this jump? Do you remember when this happened? Yeah, it was awesome. I do. And then it, I remember before they kept talking about, you know, all the things that can go wrong in a free dive and one of the worst things that can happen is that you go into a flat spin and then about 46 seconds into the dive, we're watching it and we're like... He's in a flat spin. Are we going to watch somebody die live on the internet? Oh, that would be terrible. He managed to pull himself out of it, but it was like, (gasps) That was also one of those great opportunities for us all to learn a bunch of new terms that we only needed for like three hours of our life. Yep. We were like, oh, he's going into a flat spin. (laughs) No, I I already (laughs) knew that from Top Gun. No, I know you did, but like the rest (laughs) of us. That's what killed Goose. The rest of us are like looking around. We're like, oh, it's terminal velocity. Over there, so he's hidden. <laughs> we were like pointing at each other. It was it? a really harrowing thing to watch, though, because he jumped with no warning. Like he was in the thing, right? But there was no countdown, no nothing. It just I kind of looked up and we like, bloop, there he went. Yeah, and he was like legitimately like in space. Yeah, you yeah. can see how you can see the curve of the you earth. You can see very the curve clearly. of the planet. It was crazy. Yeah, and he was wearing that space suit, and he just he looked like we're like, is he gonna pass out? Drank just... a bunch of Red Bulls, and he just did it. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool thing. Okay, the score is tied. Each person has one point. Stan can win. Stan, are you ready? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Just last month, an enormous plane called the Strato Launch took to the skies for the first time. It has six engines, two fuselages. You told me to write an article about it. And the idea is that it can ferry rockets up to around 35,000 feet, which kind of hang between the two fuselages, and then they would blast off into space from that plane. Its wingspan makes it the biggest plane ever to fly. Is the wingspan longer or shorter than 400 feet? I feel like I definitely did the lazy editor thing where I was like, compare it to a football field. And like a football field is what, almost 400 feet long because it's 100 yards. Is a football field where they swing the bats and the balls and try to get the ball on the hoop? No, it's where they keep the ping pong balls when they're not inside the big plane. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to guess it is. It looked so big and wide and stupid. I'm going to guess that it was wider than that. It was shorter. It was 385 feet. Oh. Oh. We have a three-way tie. Three-way tie. Three-way tie. This is a tiebreaker for all three of you. You've each gotten one point right. You have done really well, and I hope you had fun. That's what I want to say. Okay, here's the tiebreaker. (laughs) The closest guess wins. 
On any given day, at what the FAA calls peak operational times, about how many planes are in the sky in the United States at one time? 1,000. 1,600. 1,200. The answer is 5,000. Oh, I win. Whoa. Whoa. That's too many. Why that's do we... just U.S. I was going to guess 10,000, and I was like, no, that's way too high. Yeah, it's just U.S. airspace. Wow. It's a lot. Okay, okay, Corinne, you win. Good winner, job. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Rob, great job. Thank you all for playing today, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you back here next week for another episode of Popular Science's Techathlon. Techathlon is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people to find the show. You can buy our merch, including t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popsci.threadless.com. The show is produced by the entire PopSci tech team and me, Jason Letterman. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or opinions to share, tweet us at Show. Thanks for listening.